The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, the angel said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. And he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Were any of you present in Nazareth that day when Gabriel spoke to Mary? I know I wasn't. And the reason I begin this way is because of the curious statement in our opening prayer for the Mass. We call out to God asking that we, us, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel. Isn't that interesting? As far as I could tell, the angel spoke to exactly one person. And yet we say that in speaking to Mary, the angel was also speaking to us. That this is a word from heaven given to Our Lady, but also directed to you and to me. What a remarkable mystery that is. And to understand it, the church gives us a cluster of readings to help us understand exactly what is going on here. Our first reading begins with David the king, the great king of Israel. He's established on his throne in Jerusalem. The palace has been built. His enemies have been defeated. There is peace and prosperity in the land. 
And sitting on his throne, enjoying his victory, savoring all that God has done for him, he finds himself troubled and unhappy. And he says, wait a second, something's wrong. I'm here in my palace. I have my comfortable furniture. I have my wealth. I have everything I could possibly need. I'm comfortable. And one might say, and what exactly is the problem then? But the king continues, I'm here in the middle of all of this. And yet we're still content to keep the ark of the God who has done all of this for us outside in a tent. Isn't, and David has this inquietude in his heart. I'm just a man, and I'm a king, and I'm settled in such splendor and such safety. And the ark of God is in a tent. And so he decides, that's not right. I must do something for the God who did so very much for me. It's a marvelous motivation. And so he says, we need to build a fitting house, a temple for the ark of God. Something as splendid as a palace and even more so. And the prophet, hearing David speak, says, the Lord is with you. Do what you want. And then that night, the message comes to the prophet where God corrects the prophet. If I am with someone, the point is not that that person does what he wants, it's that he does what I want. So the message of the Lord to David is, for all of your good intentions, let's just back away from that desire. And the Lord here wants to correct a certain misunderstanding. It's a good, it's an understanding of very generous, very positive motivations. But in doing so, the Lord says, let's not rush at this because my work for you is not yet done. And so the Lord says, let's think about this. You're going to make me a house. How does that work exactly? You are going to make a house for me. I'm the one who took you from leading your flocks and placed you on a throne. I'm the one who settled you in a palace. I am the one who has given you a kingdom. You're going to make a house for me. And all of a sudden, we realize that God uses the word house a little differently than David has been using it. David is speaking of a worthy building. David is speaking of a place. But God, when he uses the word house, is speaking about the settled life of a man and his family and his descendants and his nation. And the Lord says to David, and you can't do any of that for me. But the reality is I am still building a house for you. And the house I'm building for you is not this palace where your throne is. The house that I'm building for you is not simply the place where you keep your wealth. Rather, the house that I am building through you is something 
that will endure across the ages and through the ages. And I look down into the future, and I see a descendant of yours. From your line and your life, sitting on a throne, that one will be righteous. And the house I am building for you, unlike this building, will not pass away. What a remarkable promise that is. And is this promise to David the king that there would be an heir, one on the throne whose kingdom will not pass away, that this is the house the Lord is building, that quickened in the people's hearts a certain expectation. And imagine across the centuries, king after king, descendant after descendant of David, and everybody excited, wondering, maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the one who will be on the throne and rule justly. Maybe this is the one who will be a son of David and a son of God in more than name only. And just like we experience with our politicians in our present day, every one of those guys fell short somehow. Every one of those guys fell short. Until as the years rolled on, the palace was gone, and the temple was gone, and the nation was largely gone. And one looked and said, where then is the house of David, and what does it mean to be forever? And suddenly, when the house of David was largely reduced to a carpenter shop in Nazareth, the angel comes. And it's absolutely remarkable. To all outward appearances, the house of David had collapsed. The house of David has no glory, has no king, has no wealth, has no power. But it has a man named Joseph, betrothed to a virgin named Mary. And so it is when the human house of David has fallen, something new emerges. And the Lord keeps his promise in the middle of that collapse. This is what happens here. And as Gabriel comes from heaven, we see something absolutely wondrous. Because the Lord has indeed built himself a house. Her name is Mary. And even as Gabriel visits Nazareth, Herod the king in Jerusalem is rebuilding the temple. It's a 30-year project. Herod wasn't a Jew, but he wanted to be crowned as king of the Jews. He wanted their acceptance, thinking, I'll buy that acceptance by building a magnificent temple. Not for the honor of God, but for the advancement of my throne. And so there's a king building himself a house and using what he would call the house of God as his means to do that. And then in a little village called Nazareth, in a much humbler dwelling, there's a young woman. A young woman freed from sin from the first instant of her life, filled and adorned with all the graces and virtues that are most pleasing to God. One whose heart is pure, 
whose spirit is fixed on learning and living and doing the will of God, one who draws no attention to herself, and yet in her humility is beauteous in the sight of God and more glorious than David ever was on his earthly throne. And it's to this one that the angel comes. To this one of no worldly importance and yet so great in the eyes of heaven, the angel comes. Hail, filled with grace, filled with goodness, filled with blessing, filled with virtue, filled with beauty, filled with strength. Hail, filled with grace. And this one, hearing the call of heaven is struck because she had never thought of herself in such high terms, in such an elevated way. And yet here is heaven revealing the truth of her greatness in the humility of where she finds herself every day. And what is that greatness? It's not a personal greatness. It is the greatness of the one who will conceive and bear a son. And know what the Lord is saying. My son will dwell in you. The Lord has made himself a house. And by means of him coming to this house, whose name is Mary, the Lord is raising up the fallen house of David. Because the one who dwells in this house, the palace of the virgin's faithfulness, the palace of the virgin's purity, is the one who is truly enthroned, more so than David in his palace. The one who is truly king. This is the one whose reign will not pass away. This is the one who is son of David and son of God in more than name only but in all truth. How absolutely wonderful. And so it is then that we see that when heaven speaks to Mary, Gabriel is speaking to all of the people of God, to all of us. Because this child that comes is more than Mary's son. He is the one who has been promised to all of us, to all of the and what Gabriel says to Mary is only said because the promise was made to all of us. Because you and I need salvation, the angel comes to the virgin. Only her ears hear the voice of the angel, and yet she hears on behalf of you and on behalf of me. And then comes that marvelous moment where all of creation hangs breathless. It's as if all time is frozen for just a second. Because as Gabriel says these things to Mary, it is not enough that she hears the announcement. There has to be a response. And just imagine that for a second. Imagine the weight of a universe doomed to futility. Imagine the weight of a world lost in its pain with no way out of it. Imagine the heavy weight of guilt that can't seem to be taken away 
Imagine all of the need, longing for something to change. Imagine the simple reality that heaven is closed and there's no one to open it for us. And the doorway to death is wide open and there's no one to close it. Imagine all of that and then understand that there's now a moment where everything hangs in the balance. The Savior has announced, I will come. You will be my mother. But there's no response yet. There's no response yet. Salvation is knocking at the door. The entire world doesn't even hear it doesn't even know that salvation is knocking at the door right now. And then, as St. Bernard of Clairvaux beautifully writes, there's our little sister Mary, newly arrived in time. And she hears. She hears the knocking of salvation. She hears the call of heaven. And she steps forward toward the door. And the entire universe is waiting for that moment, for that little girl to put her hand on the door and open it. This is what happens here. And how wonderful it is. Mary breathes out a simple word, a passing word, a brief word, a breath, and no more. Behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. First, she names herself, and she says to be full of grace, to be the house of God, is to be at the service of his will. If the Lord is with me, I do not do what I want. I do what he asks. I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done unto me as you have said. It doesn't take long to say those things, does it? And yet with those brief words, that little bit of breath, the eternal word, the word that endures forever, is made flesh within her. And God is with us. And everything becomes different. Before this moment, God had not entered his creation in this way. And suddenly he is here. Suddenly he is with us. Suddenly he is near and suddenly everything becomes different because of this moment. Different not just for Mary, but different for you, different for me. And everything else that comes, that brings our salvation, comes from this moment. This moment that has all of it contained in this instant where the word becomes flesh at Mary's response. And note her, yes, it's not just said for her, it's said for you. The Lord is now in creation for all creation. The Lord is now within humanity for all humanity. Because the angel spoke to her she responded. 
What a marvelous point at which to conclude our observance of the season of Advent. This point where we see salvation has come. He's hidden yet, cloistering himself, tabernacling himself in the womb of the Virgin Mary. But he is here, alive and mighty, but hidden. And soon will come that day when outside of any palace, outside of any earthly home, he will show his face to the world. Because Christ never came for us to build a home for him. Christ came to establish a home for us. And how wonderful that is. And we see here as well that the true home of God is no earthly temple, no physical building, but it is that heart that seeks to know his will, to do his will, to live his will. And how wonderful we can reflect on that here, when in just a few minutes that same Lord who first came to the world through the Virgin Mary will be here on this altar. And from that altar, he will come forward to you. And because on that day in Nazareth, she said, let it be done unto me according to your word, you and I get to step forward. You and I get to come forward and extend our hands and receive him. How marvelous that is. Everything we do, every act of faith in Jesus Christ that has ever been made is the child of the original act of faith in Jesus Christ that took place in Nazareth. By that act of faith, Jesus comes. By that act of faith, you can know him. By that act of faith, salvation comes not simply to the house of David, but to all of us. And here in this church today, we can stretch out our hands and receive that Savior and receive that salvation. And when we receive him into our hearts, we can think of it as giving a place to the Lord or we can allow the Lord to rearrange the furniture. We can allow the Lord to change things around and make a household within us for us a household of his goodness, a household of his mercy, and a household of his greatness. So that having done that, we are ready as we gather tonight and tomorrow to celebrate the great feast of his birth. We are ready to rejoice in the privilege of being able to gaze on the face of the one who is salvation. Lord, let us see your face and we shall be saved. In our gospel reading today, that moment would be nine months away. But in the reality of what we do in the church today, it's only a few hours off. That moment when we gather to rejoice in seeing his face. And would that the Lord build up the household of our homes and our families through this holy season, that they truly do become abiding places of the joy of this most sacred time. Amen.